0: the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is they both hate to do the hard work, but the successful people do it anyway.
1: The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Gary Morris. Gary is the godfather of mortgages in Canada. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. That's my best attempt at a Marlon Brando accent. He is one of the founders of the DLC group of companies. And him and Chris Kayett, little known fact, Gary was actually hosting a barbecue in Palm Springs. He had sold another business. When he came up with the idea for DLC, he phoned up his buddy. They started DLC from the ground up and transformed the Canadian mortgage market space. So my biggest three takeaways with Gary, Gary is a guy with vision, massive vision. I always think, you know, good chess players are always seeing multiple moves ahead and Gary is always playing chess. You know, when you look at the acquisitions of the companies and the technology and the things he's put in place, whether you love him or hate them, you have to respect the fact that the guy's got vision. Second thing is Gary is absolutely fantastic at identifying and recruiting amazing talent. And that's what we talk about a lot in this episode today is You do not build the largest mortgage company in Canada doing billions and billions of dollars without amazing, great people. And Gary has a a nose for great people, and then he's great at wooing them to get them to join his team and apply their skills to the vision, which I think is one of the testaments or one of Gary's superpowers. And the last thing about Gary that you may not be aware of is that he is always, always, always learning podcasts, reading, doing training. There's nobody that's putting more into investing in learning themselves. And so I think this is a fantastic episode you're going to enjoy. We're going to talk about team building. We're going to talk about sort of the history of how he's taken this company from a barbecue idea, you know, to going public soon. And um, it's pretty exciting stuff. Hey, before we launch in this episode, are you feeling a little bit overwhelmed with work right now? Do you wish maybe like you had a clone? Well, we haven't perfected cloning, but we have perfected helping you find an amazing unlicensed assistant. We've created a workshop called Hired in Seven Days, where we show you how to go from finding the amazing assistant in just seven days. And that's from job posting to hired in seven days. Now, when I talk to mortgage brokers who are swamped, they tell me two things, their their two main problems are they don't have time. And when they do try to do this process, they're inundated with applicants. Our process is very efficient. We'll cut the time it takes for you to find somebody by 50 to 75%. It'll literally take you a small number of hours for you to find an amazing person. And then in terms of get it inundated, the way our process works is we'll actually have the clients do the self-sorting for you. So instead of you getting 300 resumes, you're trying to find there is gold in there. How do I find the gold? We will show you how to get them to self-sort so that you can be dealing with the top one, one and a half to 2% of applicants and get a great hire. If you want to check it out, go to hiredin7days.com. And your biggest challenge is going to be when you get down to these final candidates to be like, and this is what our clients have told us, is that it's like, I want to hire both of them, but I only have one position. That's a much better position to be in than Right now, feeling swamped and overwhelmed. So, check out hiredandsevendays.com and check out this episode. Hey, Gary, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Great to be here. I'm fantastic, man. So, I know you got some pretty big news that's came out recently. And so, let's talk about that. What's been happening in your world?
0: Well, I mean, I think most people in the industry would have saw over the last or heard over the last sort of week that as of January 2021, Dominion Lending Centers is actually the name of the door going public. So many of you know, four, four and a half years ago, we brought in equity investor partners. We sold 60% of the company and we did it at the time because we thought it was sort of a responsible, prudent thing to do to de-risk. We had built a really good company surrounded by amazing people. But once we did the transaction, the deal was we would still own 40%. I was still to stay on board as CEO. And we were one of three companies in a portfolio of a private equity firm. You know, almost as soon as the transaction started, we realized that we didn't love some of the decisions they were making. We thought that the DLC group was doing really great work. And we didn't think necessarily our value was being reflected in the public company that at that point was Founders Advantage Capital. So fast forward today, it took us about three and a half years to sort of take over that public company, that private equity, reconstitute the board. Earlier this year, I became the chairman of the board. Replace some of the people that we thought maybe weren't perfectly suited for that role, and then the culmination of that now is that going forward, Dominion Lending Centers, the symbol DLCG, is going to be the actual publicly traded company. So, three and a half years to get here, a massive investment. I mean, at that time when we sold, we owned forty percent of the company. Chris and I had put in another seventeen thousand dollars. Sorry. Another
1: $17 million. I'm in. I'm yeah, yeah. Buy some
0: shares. I, we know? put in another $17 million into the yeah, public yeah. company yeah, this year alone. So we now have about 61% of not only DLC, but the other assets in the private equity public company as well.
1: Right. I want to go back to the beginning of how we got there. When you started DLC, so take me back to the very beginning. When you started DLC, where did the idea come from? Because I'm sure you didn't think, hey, we're going to take a company, go public, it's going to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Da, da, da. So where did this idea come from? And in particular, I want to ask about kind of the team that you put together in order to make this happen, because there's no chance that you can get from where there to here without some amazing people along the way. So that's that's the part that's really interesting to me.
0: You know, I had always been super fortunate. I had this ability to attract really high quality people. And 16 years ago, I had sold my previous company that I had founded and I was spending time down in, in Palm Springs. On the West Coast, a really easy place for us to go and get to. And I was actually having a barbecue with my neighbor. My neighbor was a loan officer with Washington Mutual. His name was Amado Salinas. And he said something just in the course of the conversation that I found very intriguing. He said, at that 75 to 80% of all loans in the U.S. mortgages were done through a mortgage broker. And I remember that night getting home and calling the only person I knew in the Canadian mortgage space, my partner today, Chris Kaye. And Chris, you know, was the largest Royal Page owner in Western Canada at the time, but he had a very small brokerage company, about 10 brokers. And I called him up and said, Hey, listen, I heard something very interesting. 75 or 80% of all loans in the US are done through the broker. And I said, Chris, it's my belief that whether it's fashion or fabric or music or loans, whatever happens in the US, you know, eventually migrates up to Canada one year later, five years later, 10 years later. So I'd really love to sort of do some homework when I come back and talk to you about the opportunity because as you know, I'm, I guess, semi-retired. I had no intentions of being retired, but I had sold the business and I was looking for something. So that's where the initial concept germinated, Scotty. And then we came back, did a whole bunch of homework, went to symbol on all the events and just really looked at what was available to mortgage professionals at that point and realized that, hey, we thought, you know, there were some things that we could build upon. We thought we could do a better job on brand, a better job on technology, a better job on tools for the average mortgage professional to actually excel in their business. And that was really, you know, the germination
1: of the concept. Okay, so I know that you and Chris have been partners for a long time. Obviously, he knew the real estate industry. What is Chris's superpower? I know you guys have worked together on all your businesses, but what is the thing that you really feel like Chris is amazing at?
0: Yeah, it's amazing because a lot of people, you know, would consider Chris that person who is, is really quiet and sort of under the radar, he may be when it comes to public visibility, but he is absolutely not uh, when it comes to a structure and strategy of the business. Chris Cade is one of the most logical, authentic, genuine human beings I've ever met. With Chris, what he says is what you get. There is no broken rules with Chris. He is just absolutely a pivotal part of this company. We spent a lot of time over the years and we we traveled for many years, for a dozen years. We traveled 120, 130, 140 days a year and always with Chris. So we spent so much time strategizing and communication and recognizing, you know, what we felt would be of value to right. our brokers and our owners. And Chris was a giant part of that. So he is a huge thinker. His nickname around here is the wallet. When it comes to operational structure, when it comes to making financial decisions, Chris has got laser focus. Is he good with math and numbers and all that stuff? Yeah, he is. He's good with people. He's just one of those guys where everyone just, when they get to know him, they just think, wow, this is a terrific individual that is incredibly honorable and exceedingly bright.
1: So, okay, fast forward a little bit along your path. I know that you told me a story in the past about how Kevin and Jay came to be part of DLC. Mm. So, tell me about what happened there. Like, how big was DLC at the time? To me, this is a fascinating story. I think so. I mean, I got a ton of respect for you guys, but I think that you're recognition of Jay and Kevin's skill set, and then harnessing them to your vision was key there. So tell me about what happened there.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sure was. So early days, first year, first four or five months of Dominion Lenny Centers, there was literally Chris and I, Chris, as I said, was the largest Royal LePage owner in Western Canada. And we had just started Dominion Lenny Centers and we were actually upstairs in a single office, about a hundred square feet on the second floor of Chris's Royal LePage office. He texted me, he goes, get down here, get down here, get down here. And I said, "What's up?" He goes, "We got this really young, dynamic speaker. I've seen him speak once before, and he's in doing my sales meeting this morning with my realtors and just selling tickets to Richard Robbins Ignite, which was the big Richard Robbins, you know, personal development Ignite seminar that he did." So I went down. You got to understand, we're a brand new company, and you know, maybe we have fifteen or twenty brokers at the time. And Kevin Cochran, he had been the number one sales trainer for Richard Robbins for many years. The kid was doing incredibly well. He was making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. In income, and he was just incredibly dynamic. And I'm watching him speak to the crowd. And I looked over at Chris, and I said, "We're going to hire this kid." And Chris said, "We can't afford this kid because he's the wallet, of course, watching every dime." Right. He's like, I said, "How are we going to pay?" Right. I said, "We can't afford not to do this." So the minute he came off stage, I called him aside and I said, "Hey, can I speak to you?" And I brought him down into Chris's office, and I said, "Listen, you're a very talented guy. Tell me about what you're doing. How long you been doing it for? You know, what do you love about it? What do you hate about it?" And he goes, you know, God, he goes, I, I love it. It's so great. He goes, I, I make a great living. I'm a young guy. But he said, I'm traveling 200 days a year and I got a young family. And I said to him, well, listen, I want to take you up for dinner tonight and I want to talk to you about what we're doing because I think you might be an incredibly good fit. So that night we went out for dinner. The next day, Kevin said to me, well, I'm sort of interested. It's a stretch. We couldn't afford to pay him, right? So we went from quarter million dollars a year to a $6,000 a month guarantee is actually what we started him on. But on a commission-based, program. And I just said, but listen, give me five years of your life and we'll change it. You know, but I need you to bleed, you know, to scrape your knuckles, to work hard morning till night for five years. And I promise there'll be a huge opportunity for you down the road. So that night at dinner, he goes, well, listen, I have a partner in Ontario named Jay Seabrook and he's really an operational guy, really smart guy, but he's my partner. We work together. We have for a few years now. So if you want me, you have to hire him too. I said, oh my so he's goodness. Negotiator, hey? He's a He's going to get it. All right. He's getting his butt a job. I couldn't even afford him, right? It was really stretching us. But Jay Sieber came out the next day. We went and had lunch that day. That's where it sort of began. And these guys opened up Ontario for us. Kevin was incredible. Jay stayed at head office for many years as the VP of Ops. And they made a significant contribution to this company. Their DNA is all over it. So much so that they had their own dream. They wanted to build their own company which they've done now, in Rich Academy, Chris and I, were their financial partners when they were starting the company. We're still shareholders of the company today. They're still absolutely involved in DLC. They still have a very small position in the company, but I speak to them regularly. They're just wonderful, incredible human beings.
1: Yeah. I remember hearing Kevin tell me a story about a guy that he was trying to recruit for DLC. And he's like, how many times do I have to tell you no? Kevin's like six or seven. The guy's like, no, 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 no. And then before he hangs up, Kevin's like, I'll call you back in six months. So that guy's name was Dwight Trafford,
0: Morgan yeah. Center, Canada. Been there for years. It was before we had bought Morgan Center in 2013. Yeah. And Kevin was a relentless dialer. And of course, now it's much easier. Everyone understands that our commitment and, and our respect and our love for our team. It's a new
1: idea. People are, but back you know,
0: then, I mean, like we were trouble, right? Nobody yeah. wanted to be part of us. But Kevin would call and call and call. And one day, Dwight Trafford said to him, and excuse me, I'm going to swear here, guys. Said, "Listen, dude." how many more times do I got to tell you to fuck off, right? And Kevin goes, five more times. And Dwight goes, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. And they both started laughing, right? And they hung up and he said, okay, Dwight, call you in 30 days. And, you know, he called him in 30 days. And many years later, Dwight is with us at Mortgage Center, just does a terrific job, has been an icon in the Canadian mortgage space, has been in it for so long. We're really proud to have him.
1: I thought that was hilarious. But that's what it took, right? Okay, so you get Jay, you get... Chris, so then, what? When was the next sort of major milestone that you'd feel like with DLC on this path?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably in 2013 when we bought Morgan Center Canada. CIBC had owned it at that point for 19 years, and they were looking to divest of it. You know, with all of their different brands that they had, they felt that they had uh, mixed messaging, so they decided to run an auction process and sell that DLC at that point was doing incredibly well. We were growing. We were right across the country. We had this terrific vibe. We had, in our opinion, some of the the most high-profile, best owners in the Canadian mortgage space. And we had done a fairly good job when it comes to market share. So getting to a point where we could afford to start making large national acquisitions was incredible. It was something that we were very proud of. That transaction completed June 24th of my birthday in 2013. Yeah, I didn't know Eddie at the time. I had just sort of seen him at events passing. He would say, hi, Gary. I'd say, hi, Eddie. But, you know, he was a competitor and we were doing a fairly good job against him. And we were calling
1: Dwight every 30 days. So
0: We were calling everybody every 30 days. You know, that's just what we did. And that's what you have to do, right? I mean, it's consistency. And it's, I mean, literally, it's just like, there's nothing easy about building business. I don't care whether it's building a mortgage team or whether it's building a mortgage company or a a national brand. And it, it has to be. And anyway, I was very unsure about Eddie, but we flew out just as it was transactioning and just, you know, realized that here's a guy that has been in the business for a long time, that people just absolutely love, an incredibly great family man, one of the most honorable guys I've ever met. And here we are seven years later, still working together. And he's now the president of Dominion Lending Centers. But that was probably the first big move. I mean, that all of a sudden put us on the map. We were strong as DLC, but as the DLC group. With the market share and especially the anchor, the size they were in Ontario and you know the Atlantic and Maritimes, it was a real feather in our cap.
1: You said it was a competition. So, was there other people you're competing with? Of was- course, yeah,
0: yeah. So, what happens when you're selling a large company is they they usually go to an investment banker and they run what they call an auction process. So, they make a list of every person that may want to own this company. It could be banks, could be life insurance companies, it could be large companies like Brookfield, it could be Royal Page, Remax. They all sort of start to compete to get access to this distribution because they think with that distribution, they can add in other products. So the process was quite frothy. There was numerous people trying to purchase that asset and we, by a whole bunch of strategy and good luck, ended up with it.
1: Right. In terms of team, I know that you had the initial team. Who else do you feel like there's Eddie? Who else do you feel like has been integral that you've identified as, hey, this is the person I need on the team? and has helped you guys kind of build your group of companies you have? That's kind of the theme that I'm... Sure.
0: So, I mean, you've know, you all heard the saying, and it's a bit of a rhyme, and but it's so true, right? The bigger the dream, the more important the team. So there isn't one person. Every single person that's part of our operation today is vitally important. I don't care if you're answering our phone. I don't care if you're at a payroll department. I don't care if you're our president, our CEO. We need to make sure that we have a very, very level, flat hierarchy. The best idea is the best idea. It doesn't matter who it comes from. So I think one of the things that we've done incredibly well, Scott, is making a fun, upbeat, fiercely competitive business where everyone is you know, appreciated and respected. There's nothing more important than your people, bar none. And for mortgage professionals who are on this call, their people could be their past customers. It's definitely their staff that they have from every single person. It's their lenders, their underwriters, their BDMs. It's their referral sources. When you get incredibly good, at appreciating your people, at recognizing them, you know, helping them become better, at instilling the excitement. When you finally turn on the light and teach them personal development, where they say that I'm part of something and I could become more, there's greater opportunities, there's evidence of progress, I think is when you really turn the corner as a business. So many people, when they operate businesses, they get to the point where they go, well, it's my business, my name's on the door you know, ultimately, I'm in charge or I'm the boss. You know who's the boss? Your people are the boss. Because you cannot build a business unless you have the most incredible people with you. And you cannot attract the most incredible people unless you're an excellent leader. Because people want to be with someone who brings out the best in them. People want that personal development. They want to strive and get better. So I can't point my finger. I mean, I can say that obviously, all of our leaders of our brands are very important. But you know, really, they have the easy job. It's the people on the front line that are coming to work every single day. And it's very important. And this is really, really an important factor. And I think this will resonate. You have to, at every person in your company, you have to provide evidence of progress. They have to know the opportunity, where they can go, what the future holds. Because if someone's working for you in payroll, or answering the phone, or in HR, and if they're 38 years old, and if they don't know where they're going or the opportunity, and they're not seeing personal development, it's going to feel like it's a life sentence. Oh my God, only 22 more years of work here, right? It's like your life sentence. So you have to show evidence of progress. And I think we've done a really good job at that.
1: Yeah, I've seen how your team has moved from different roles. Okay, so then you acquired the Mortgage Center. (laughs) Then what was the next? I'd say Mortgage Architects. That's where I was for many years and love the people at Mortgage Architects. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Was that a similar process? Was that up on an auction or was yeah, that like-
0: Yeah, that was uh, 2016. It was also run via an auction from investment bankers. Those like Morgan Stanley.
1: Yeah, I bet you they make some money.
0: They make big dough, dude, right? Yeah. But they're incredibly good at what they do and they make the process incredibly smooth to acquire a company front to back of that size by the time the first communication from the iBanker when they're running a process to the transaction close can be sort of 90, 120, you know, 150 days. And there is thousands of documents and data rooms. And you're talking big money with lots of people that are employed there and lots of employee contracts and lots of consideration. And you have to be able to integrate it so that it makes sense. So yeah, the next one was Mortgage Architects. Same thing, 2016. Love the company, love the people. Was a great acquisition for us. Scott Musselman, that entire team, Dustin Woodhouse, Don Lee. Have done an incredible job with that. Since we bought it, we almost now doubled the origination volume in that company in about four years. So whatever they were doing, we doubled it or near it anyway. So yeah. And then of course, you know, the last piece that makes it all come together is the Marlboro sterling that we bought. And I chased Marlboro Sterling out of the UK. It was owned by private equity out of the United Kingdom. I chased it for five or six years. I had made really? three so it different, wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't right? like I got a phone call one day and said, Hey, we're selling it. Do you want to buy it? Right. right. I had chased it for years. I had made three different trips to London, England, where I sat down with two different CEOs because the asset kept being sold, but it was a great platform. It had operated in Canada for 30 years. You know, right. it still does a lot of the foundational stuff and servicing and reporting for some very large lenders. It was the system that was used by RBC for many years we still work very closely with MCap on that system, and it was the only platform, in addition to Expert to Phylogix, that had direct to lender connectivity. A lot of guys are out there right now saying, "Oh, we can connect via FX Link and submit." There's only two superhighways in the Canadian finance space that have direct to lender connectivity, and that is Velocity. The business name is Newton Connectivity Systems, and that is DNH. So that was probably the most pivotal asset that we've ever acquired because what it does is it connects and loops all of our brands, but also everybody else in the Canadian mortgage space to a system that is holistic and does everything from submission to payroll to compliance to bringing in the lenders, the other suppliers, the partners. And that is where we're spending the most amount of our resources right now and the most amount of our time. And for anyone on this call that hasn't tried Velocity inside of the last six months, I promise you, you will absolutely love it. I was probably a very, very hard shareholder in that company because I didn't want to promote it or push it to anyone publicly until I knew we were getting incredible feedback. And now DLC, 65% of our submission volume is going to that platform, should be 75 or 80% by the end of the year. We have all kinds of competitors. Verico, Invis, MI, independents that are using that platform, and they're just absolutely raving about it. But that will be the TSN turning point for us because we now have a platform that is built to make the job of a broker easier. Nobody has ever said, oh, my God, I love my submission platform that I'm using now until Velocity. And the feedback that we're getting on our social media, Scotty, has been incredible. And am I proud of it now? Sure, I am. You know, because we've come so far. People who are using it are just going, oh my God, this is smooth
1: as silk. When you bought Marlboro Sterling, was that a bidding war? Did you guys just like hound them until they were ready to sell?
0: It was, yeah, it was. M3 was aggressively chasing this asset as well as two or three other companies. I probably had a leg up because I had made three trips to the UK in the five or six years previous to that, right? So I had built some relationships. And I think when they decided they wanted to exit Canada, I think because of that relationship, I probably had an advantage. But it goes down to relationships again, right? what we do today and how we build relationships and how we appreciate respect and, you know, support other people. It's a lifelong journey. I mean, it never ends, right? You know, you can't do something because you're going to get a return today. You you just have to, you know, be a good person and build those relationships. And, you know, sooner or later, the world has a funny way of repaying you.
1: So I have a question for you on this because I see a theme here. So you saw, Chris, hey, you know, we can't afford not to hire them. You know, you had to invest in buying Mortgage Center, Mortgage Architects, buying this technology. How do you determine, like, when do you walk away? I guess, because obviously you're thinking long term. I got to put, you know, build these assets, build this technology. But when is a person too much money? How do you make that decision? I'm curious. I think maybe you
0: uh, walk away when you lose interest, right? When you're running out of steam, you know, because if you're not going to do something at 100% effort and you don't see, you don't love what you're doing anymore, you don't see a bright future, I think that's when you're most vulnerable. You know, and this is transferable to mortgage brokers, to owners who are running teams, or to anyone in business. The minute you're not engaged, the minute you stop doing the very things that made you successful is the minute you start to fail. That's when you become the most vulnerable. And listen, you're not always going to love everything you do. Building a big business is incredibly hard work. But the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is they both hate to do the hard work, but the successful people do it anyway. There was many days where I hated traveling 120, 130, 140 days a year, but I love being number one. And, you know, I look at what we're doing right now. So, you know, when you walk away, as I think, is when you start to lose interest in this thing. I mean, I'm a young guy. I, I, you know, I'm 52 years old. I feel like a young guy. I mean, there's so much more for us to do. When is enough? I mean, listen, anyone who says or considers, you know, someone making, you know, too much money or someone, you know, who says like who has reservations around growth hasn't had the good enough fortune of helping enough people and giving enough money away. Right. So, you know, what am I going to do? When I put the presidents in place to all the companies, I took eight or nine months off. And I realized that my golf game didn't get much better. I'm still playing to like a 19 or 20 handicap, Mm -hmm. right? And I played a lot during those eight or nine months. And honestly, I was bored stiff. I love what I do. My best friends are in the Canadian finance space. Scotty, you and I have become good friends. So I think the measurement of when you stop is when you can't do it at the same high level.
1: Right. That makes sense. What about this? So when you're doing all these big deals and you're putting teams together... What do you think is the most challenging part for you or the most stressful? If you can think like, okay, this was a really stressful situation. And then how do you navigate through it?
0: Yeah, business is hard. I mean, you know what? There's always stress. The way I live my life anyway, is that I always condition myself that there's another bus looking to run me over. Life is never easy. You know, I always say, show me a person without a problem, financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and and I'll show you a liar. And I think when you start to realize that, hey, listen, it never is going to get easier. And you are always, you know, dealing with stresses and breakdowns and, you know, disappointment. It's actually in kind of a weird spiritual way, quite liberating. And I just think that, you know, when something does happen, because it's always going to happen, I think that it makes it that much easier to respond to it and to get through it. So, you know, we all find different areas. I mean, you know, for me, for stress, I go to the lake in the summer. You know, there's something about lake living. Like Yokohama
1: is pretty great. I'm not going to lie. This is it's a pretty, pretty good place to live. Yeah, it's pretty special. And, and I think the other thing that I do
0: that probably has the highest return for me is a lifelong pursuit into personal development. I constantly, every single day, I'm listening to a podcast I'm reading a book, making notes outside uh, of COVID. How much do you
1: think you spent on coaching and personal development over the years? A lot, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I don't even want to say that
0: because many people are going to say, well, I can't yeah, afford to yeah, do that. I
1: can't do that. Yeah, yeah.
0: But, you know, I'm 52 years old. When I say hundreds of thousands of dollars, I mean, if I could show you my bookcases that surround me, I have thousands of books between my office and home. I've been going to an event down in the U.S. two, three times a year for years. That's quite expensive. But for many years when I couldn't afford Tiscotti, I didn't spend anything other than what was available online, podcast. I went to every single event that I could put myself in front of, even if it wasn't industry specific. Because all those skills of entrepreneurs, of people focused on personal development, they're all transferable. You can't go, well, I've been to you know, the mortgage conference once and I don't need to go again. Or you can't say, yeah, yeah, I've read that book. And you can't say, well, I know what he's saying, but I've seen it before. Personal development isn't like a warm bath, right? Or it, Sorry, it is like a warm bath. You don't just do it once you know, because it cools down. It's a right. relentless pursuit. As Todd Duncan said recently when we brought Todd Duncan to Canada, a 1% improvement every single day. And if you can commit to those little habits, another great book, Jeffrey Clear, Atomic Habits, small but yet powerful daily habits in your business or any period of your life that you think you need to work on is going to radically change
1: the end point. I believe the same things. I always think about, like, especially as you get like more, you're ex- very experienced in business. It's always like, what's the one, you know, for me, I'm like, what's the $50,000 idea? What's the $20,000? For you, it's probably what's that one takeaway that you can get? And even if I find sometimes with coaching or with books or podcasts, the same topic from a different perspective, all of a sudden a light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, I now see how I can apply this to my situation that I didn't see before. Yeah,
0: and let me just make a point on that, right? So a lot of people know that I occasionally swear too much. And if I said, what was my favorite F word, people would have an opinion of what that is. But my favorite F word, you know what, is failure and fear because you need to overcome it. And listen, here's the reality. We are all going to make mistakes over and over and over again. We are all sitting here today and say, well, I should have done this. I should have done that, right? Stop shooting all over yourself, right? We should have done a lot of things. But, you know, when you make a mistake, accept the pain of it so you learn, but don't accept the guilt. Just, you know what? Today's a new day. We learn. We become better from the mistakes. I assure you, I am such a better person at home, with my family, in business, to my employees, to the industry, to whatever I believe in today than I was two years ago. Five years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, you know, and I've said this before, I was probably the poster child of dumbass. But I think that you learn and you realize that, hey, I might have slid and I might have fallen off the wagon, but that's okay because today's a new day and that's what life's all about. I'm going to jump back on. You know, I haven't built my database. I'm going to start building that database right now. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to start reaching out to people on social media. Whatever it happens to be, it doesn't matter where you've been. All that matters is where you're
1: going, right? The next 24 hours is a fresh sheet. A clean slate. Do what you want with it. What are you most excited about now? So you've got this thing that's happening, going public, but you've always thinking two or three steps ahead. So what's the thing that you're excited about?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that one of the things inside of the last 24 months that has been really important to us is higher education, personal development. When you hit a certain level in business and you've taken sort of the financial, you know, concerns or maybe the sting off, you know, and you've had some good fortune, like we have. It is all about how do we make people better every single day? How do I make someone better? And you've seen all year with my Level Up series. And if you haven't listened to any of those Level Up series, I've had some amazing guests, very high profile guests. Just send me an email personally to Gary at DLC.ca and I'll send you the link with all my Level Up series. We had obviously the three-day sales mastery that we made available to everyone in the Canadian mortgage space in our three brands and partners. That's what it's all about, Scott. It's all about how do I take someone doing $7 million in mortgage production? I'm helping them get to 12? How do I take someone to an 18 and help them get to 26 million? How do I take an owner who has done a really good job and has built a mortgage company that you know, is originating 150 million and get them to 200 million or 300 million or 400 million? There is no ceiling. There is no ceiling. And I think you know, people have to understand that. And there's a, certainly in my opinion, there is a radical difference on our team. I mean, if you look at our team, Scott, and not using this as a commercial, but our team is the very, very best. I have never assembled a better team than I have right now. Our people at all of our brands and all of our companies are all dialed in. We all communicate. We all support each other. We don't have a real official hierarchy. And it's always about what can we do to make someone's life better? I know my role and I know my job. Nobody in any one of our companies works for me. I work for them. None of our brokers, none of our owners work for us. We work for them. Our job is to make their job easier. Full stop. So, for us, it's just now, how do we talk and how do we focus on personal development and how do we connect with as many people where we can finally watch the light bulb go on, where all of a sudden we say something that resonates and they go, okay, I get it. I always say to people, you want to be an incredible leader. You want to be an incredible parent. You want to be, you know, incredible in front of your team. Let them see you making personal developments in themselves. Let them see you as curious, right? Monkey see, monkey do. You don't want to be a good parent. If the parents are okay, the kids are okay. You can never say do this, do this, do this, do that because nobody listens to do anything. What they will do is they will witness, they will observe the habits that you do and especially important when your children are little, but especially important when you're leading a team. I talk to brokers all the time and they go, oh my God, my person left me and they were a rock star and I'm so disappointed and I can't believe it and I've had high turnover. Listen, if your staff is leaving you, It's because of one thing. They feel dismissed. They feel that you're indifferent towards them and they don't feel appreciated. Very rarely is it ever money. By the way, I believe that if you have a rock star, if you have someone that is incredible at what they do, cost doesn't matter. You have to be competitive. It's very hard to pay too much for someone who is incredibly engaged in what they do. And I'll tell you, attitude, in my opinion, is three times more valuable than skill when it comes to hiring people. And what do people want? Because I know you want to get here right, about hiring people. Well, you know what? People want to be valued. They want to be appreciated. They want to be respected. They want evidence of progress. We talked about that. They have to know where the opportunity is and where they can get to. You know, if they come and join your team, they must become better by being part of their team. They must grow. If someone comes and joins your team, whether it's as an underwriting staff, whether it's a mortgage broker, whatever the role is, if they don't get better, if they don't do more business, so they don't have more time in their life than you as the leader have failed them. End of story, full stop. It's your job as the leader to make them better. People want to contribute. So I see people hiring new staff when they have a team of mortgage brokers. And the owner, whoever the lead broker is, or the owner of the franchise, they go, I'm going to hire this person. But guess what? The people that you already have in that company, you should be getting weigh-in from them. Because unless you get weigh-in, you don't get buy-in. So what does that mean? You don't take a new person you're going to hire and, you know, go to all your existing staff and give them the ultimate decision. As a leader, you have to make that ultimate decision. But asking them for spirited debate, for honest feedback, saying, what do you think? That will help you become so much more successful when you hire that new person. Because if someone already with you that's doing a good job came to you, Scott, and said, you know what? Yeah, I interviewed Gary. I thought they were great. They got a great energy. This person's going to do really well. Guess what? That person who gave you feedback is going to make certain the person that you hired makes it because when they start sliding and they don't make it's, it,
1: it, it, it's their reputation. On that line
0: person too. goes, well, I gave you my endorsement on this. I got to make sure that I make them successful, right? People want to be proud of where they go to work. You know, and you have to ask yourself as a leader, right? What I want to work for myself, do I exemplify the traits that I think will attract the very best people? You want the best people to hire because the person with the best team wins. Full stop. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, would someone want to work for me? Do I exemplify those traits? Are we having fun? Do we appreciate our people? Do they have evidence of progress? Do I get them engaged in higher education and learning? Do I recognize them? Do I celebrate top performance? Because if you don't, you're going to get average. And the cult of average is an incredible, you know what, ugly place to be because you never get out. You always just churn the wheel. You have to be an exceptional leader, whether you have one employee or whether you have, you know, 6,000 in order to attract good
1: quality people. That's really good. Quick story. I hired my wife once to come back to work with me in the mortgage business. And she said she'd do it if I bought her a new car. And I did. And then she quit after three days. <laughs> yeah, you know, she knows. She's you're, she, the car, she's, she played me, man. She's, she's got, got your me. number. She's like, you don't need me. You don't have a plan. It was my own fault. How many years have you and Shannon been together for? 20 20 years. Yeah. yeah. She knows you well, bud. So she, you know, she yeah. plays me like we're working on a renovation right now that just continues to expand and expand. I'm just like, I don't know how she's great at the anchor principle. Like, Oh, if we do this, it's going to be this much money. But if we do this reno, it's only, and I'm like, wait a second, you created a whole new category that we're not even looking at to make mm. this renovation seem cheap. But, <laughs> so she's very smart. I agree with you when it comes to people, three things I always think about mastery, autonomy, and purpose. They want to create mastery. They want to get better autonomy. I don't want to be micromanaged. And then purpose. I want to be part of something that's actually like, Are we going somewhere? Like you said before, right? If I'm going somewhere, I want to go. If this is like, we're barely holding on and we're like, the company's slowly dying every month. You're like, nobody wants to play on the losing team.
0: And let me talk about that just a little bit more, right? Because the difference between a manager and a leader is incredibly stark. So a manager, and most people are unfortunately managers, right? They don't even know it. No one's taught them. It's not their fault. They haven't been exposed to maybe an interview like this, right? Which maybe, you know, tweaked their curiosity. But a manager feels they're quite important. Whereas a leader... Makes everyone feel that they're quite important and and their team is quite important. A manager walks around every day trying to correct people, trying to find them doing something wrong and saying, well, hey, next time do it this way. A leader walks around every single day finding people doing something right, saying, oh, my goodness, you're amazing. I love the way you had that conversation. I loved how fast you responded. The way you handled that objection was brilliant, right? Just a subtle shift, a big shift, right? A good leader would never give one of their team members a correction in public. You praise in public, you correct in private. It's simple things that a lot of times we just don't know because we haven't, you know, learned, right? The number one reason why people leave you is because they don't feel valued. They don't feel appreciated. They don't feel- It's supported. not money.
1: Most of the things- It's thing, never like, money, they, It's never money. They leave managers, not companies. Usually, is what they say people don't leave companies. They leave the manager, the person who's <laughs> supposed to be leading them, who's not leading them.
0: Yeah. I mean, it happens all over, right? Problem is, is that, you know, once you, once you have that, that leak in your boat, man, you can't bail fast enough in order to save it. I mean, it starts today. It starts with every conversation. So for any mortgage broker, for any team lead on this call right now, here's what I'd say. I would say make a very quick list of the people around you. So number one, your customers, your past customers, you have your database. Number two, all team members on your team, your receptionist, your underwriter, your compliance person, whoever it may be, your lender, your BDMs, anyone who escalate a deal to. And one thing I would say is make love every day. Find a reason every day. Make them feel loved to reach out, to appreciate, to send them a small gift. When you take your people and you consistently make unexpected emotional connections, when you surprise them with a unexpected delight, when they say to you as a leader, Wow, I didn't expect that, you create immense loyalty. You know, people often ask me, Gary, like, I've heard him say like whatever you touch, you seem to be really lucky with or turns to gold. And that is so not true. Most people are so much better in so many areas than me. I think the only thing that I really you know, have made of incredible importance to me is just my ability to connect with people. What we say is what we do. Plain, end of simple, right? Like We have to make someone's life better if they're part of us. End of story. And if we don't, then we fail them. I mean, it isn't systems and technology and tools. It's people skills, Scott. It's like, do something when nobody's looking for no other reason than it feels good and it's the right thing to do. I once had a mortgage broker of ours, and I won't say his name, but he said to me, oh, I really want you to introduce me to realtors in Chris's real estate. Chris knows them all. They're all, he knows, he knows every top realtor in the area. So we made a couple of introductions. He went out for lunch with a couple of realtors. And three months later, I walked by him in the hall and he said to me, oh God, yeah, nothing. I bought him lunches. And I got nothing. I said, dude, I don't ever want to hear you say that again. You give relentlessly, show up, extra value, always forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and ever just because it's the right thing to do. And I promise you. The business right. right the world will pay you back in spades. But when you go looking for a return on something that you do to anyone at any time in your life, people see through that and you will actually repel them. You won't attract them.
1: It's just simple. It's like you're trying too hard. Like if you, if you think back to high school and you're trying to date and if you're trying, the guy who's trying too hard never has a date to the prom, right? You're just like, you can't push too hard at it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know what? You just got to get in the habit of, Anyone of any success wants to help other people. It's just human nature, right? When someone hits a certain level, they know they had so many people, you know, give them a leg up and help them along the way. And they want to help. I mean, I'm constantly mentoring people and sending them audio tapes and doing large groups. And I constantly get mentored. I'm part of a US CEO group. I have my own group that I'm reaching out to all the time with total vulnerability and saying, holy shit, guys, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Like, help me out here. I've never witnessed this before. And I think that's a really important lesson for us, right? Like we never reach a level in our business. Where we think that, yeah, we're all it. We know it all. We've been there. We're the boss. I'm the CEO. That's all horseshit. I prefer to be the EIEIO, right? Like, I want to have some fun with what I do and and I never want to stop learning. Scotty, I'm learning how to fly helicopters right now. Why? Because it scares the shit out of me, number one. And I never like to be paralyzed by that fear, but I always want to constantly learn. And the more I do it, the more I love it, the more I'm growing. But it's the same thing in business. This whole transaction right now with DLC becoming a public company, I mean, not only are we leading a public company, but we have some other large assets in this portfolio that now we're in charge of that we will divest of in the next 12, 24 months so we can focus only on the Dominion Lending Center's group of companies, the Velocity, the Mortgage Architects, the Mortgage Center Canada. And we think there's a huge opportunity. We think that we've been undervalued. We think that, you know, the future is incredibly bright to us. And because of that, we have to work incredibly hard and we have to learn more and commit more than we ever have. I mean, we're at the bottom rung of the ladder.
1: That's awesome. Okay. So what's the final word to anybody that's listening into this that you'd say, like what word of encouragement, particularly around self-development or team building? What would you say?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think just be okay with where you're at and, you know, focus on personal development. I think that You know, if you're sitting here and you go, oh, wow, you know, that was an interesting conversation or that kind of sparked me. Where do I start? What do I start listening to? Guys, I'm the easiest guy in the Canadian finance space to get a hold of. Gary at dlc.ca. Send me a message. Give me a call. I think that in order to have a better tomorrow, we have to begin today. You know, the most important thing, bar none, that I can share with everyone is make a list of anyone in your orbit, past customers, referral sources, staff, underwriters, and find a way to create unexpected emotional connections. The more people have your back, the more they're on your side, the easier life becomes, the more escalations you get, the top of the pile that you get. And it is nothing. It is not money. It is nothing else than humanly connecting with people. And I think that sometimes we overlook that. We just get caught up and grow, 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 grow. And at any expense, and I need new systems, and I need new technology, and I need new this and that. You don't need any of that crap. You need to connect with people. And you need to be more engaged. And I think it makes a big difference.
1: Yeah. You know, an insight that I had recently that I wish I would have known 10 years ago is that, because I like process. I think process is important. But honestly, the right people are more important than the process. I would rather have a 20% process with the right people because they'll build the right process for you. If you get a really good process, but you have bad people, they're going to screw it up because people still have to push the button and do the thing. And so at the end of the day, and because business is a so dynamic, I think that process is secondary to the people. I think the vision is first, where are you going? Is it somewhere exciting? And then the next step behind that is who's going with me? Then you'll figure out all the details along the way.
0: And I think to make a point on that, one thing that I sort of live by is that as a leader, everything is your fault. Every reason, every failure, everything in any part of your team is your fault. I know Dustin Woodhouse has said that a lot over the years. The only time it's not your fault as a leader is when you win, when you do something right then that is everybody else's fault. I think it's incredibly important. You cannot build anything of significance without a team around you, without people that will defend you and fight for you and have your back, will go the extra mile. And if you give people the opportunity, if you give them the autonomy, if you give them the support, people will knock your socks off. They will blow your mind with how good they are, how smart they are. I mean, our best ideas for 16 years in a row haven't come from freaking me, I can assure you that. They've come from our top freaking people that, you know what, feel comfortable to share their ideas or take a chance or bring something to us. And I just can't drive that point home enough, Scotty. We're not saving dying children here. We're writing mortgage loans. Right. You know, I mean, get over yourself. Believe you me, my wife reminds me every single day of my life that I'm not a very big deal. And I think that we have to be reminded that when we run our companies, you know, people think, oh, I'm the boss now and I'm in charge and I'm the guy and, you know, and they manage a certain way. But they forget about the power of the human connection and, you know, how good people are and how much they can achieve and how much they want to achieve just by giving them an environment of culture that
1: fosters and breeds that. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Gary. I really appreciate you, man. And so people can find you at Gary at dlc.ca, Plus, you're a very easy guy to track down. So awesome. Thanks, man.
0: Scotty, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, I know you have an event on
1: Thursday, right? Give that a shout out. because Oh, yeah. I've so been... we're doing a workshop called Hired in Seven Days. So taking the right. best practices of how to hire because we've done lots of hiring for our coaching clients. And so yeah. uh, if you check that out, you can message me if you're interested in that. So thanks, Gary. Thanks, everyone. Hey, friend. Thanks for checking out this episode. Conversation with Gary is very enlightening. He's a very motivated, inspiring guy. Hopefully that you picked up a few nuggets from that. And before you go though, I just want to remind you that we have this workshop. If you're thinking, man, I really would like to find good help. I want to find an unlicensed assistant. We have a workshop that we created called Hired in Seven Days, where we're going to show you how to find an amazing unlicensed assistant in literally seven days. That's seven days from job posting to shake your hand, you're hired. And we're going to help you overcome those two big challenges, which is I don't have enough time right now to do this, Scott. We're going to cut the time down by 75 to 50%. And then the second problem is I don't know how to sort through all these applicants. We're going to show you how to get the clients, these people applying to actually self-sort so that you only are talking to the best possible applicants. So check out HiredIn7Days.com. That's hired in the number 7 dayscom And thanks for checking out this episode.